igniting original concepts. You felt like you were really making a difference. But why wouldn't you do that? The biggest challenge that you have is not to... You're going to have disruptions all the time. If you want something different, you have to be willing to do something different. You're listening to Forest FM, the salon business show with your host, Zoe Galil Springer. For your industry, by your industry. Hair coloring, whether to cover gray or white hair, to create a specific look, or to restore original hair color, has been part of the human experience for centuries. But synthetic dye as we know it today only came about in the early 20th century, in 1907 to be precise, when French chemist Eugène Schuller used PPD to create a dye he called Oreal. Two years later, Schuller founded the French harmless hair dye company, which he changed to L'Oréal in 1909. Fast forward to 2022. And the global hair color market generated a value of about 25 billion US dollars. It's forecasted to reach about 42 billion US dollars by 2029. Despite this, there's still a blatant lack of standardized policies and protocols when it comes to allergy screening, and the mixed messages in the sector do nothing to help salon owners upon whom the responsibility to comply falls onto. Helen Ward, Managing Director of Richard Ward Hair in Metro Spa in London and co-founder of Salon Employers Association, SEA, wrote a piece for professionalbeauty.co.uk on the matter titled Testing Times. You should check it out. I want us to think and reflect for a moment on what business educator and coach Steve Gomez said in episode 272 on the Forest FM podcast about salons and spas. All of our languaging, all of our marketing, everything we should be doing right now, in my opinion, should be geared towards come to the safest place with people that you trust and love so that you can feel great, look even better, and strengthen yourself to continue to navigate what life has been throwing at us. Now, the broader context of the episode referred to the power of resilience in the face of adversity and uncertainty. But even stripped of its original context, his statement remains true. Salon and spas are, ultimately, a place where your clients should feel safe, protected, and cared for in every way. This starts from the moment they book an appointment to when they physically visit your business. And when it comes to hair coloring or other treatments such as eyelash, eyebrow tinting, peel treatments, lash extensions, semi-permanent makeup, laser and IPL, eyelash perming, spray tanning, there are many ways of doing this, but one of them is through protocol-driven patch testing. Patch testing has long been considered a frustrating and time-consuming process for both salons and clients. But it doesn't have to be. And more importantly, if we all truly understood the safety risks of not being diligent with it, perhaps we wouldn't mind patch testing as much because we'd view it the same way we view consultations, as an integral part of the salon experience that ultimately can only lead to increased end result satisfaction. This is where Forrest's integration with ColorStart, announced earlier this summer, steps in. ColorStart is the only clinically proven test for allergy to hair color, PPD, licensed by the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency, MHRA. And overall, it's a simple-to-use solution. Here, the technical lead for ColorStart Passport on the subject. Hi everyone, uh, Martin here from TricoCare. Uh, so we've been working closely with the Forest team now to integrate their salon management platform with our ColorStart Passport platform. So the two systems are now talking to each other, specifically three key actions that we're now automating. The invite process of actually getting a client onboarded onto ColorStart Passport and signing up. We're automating reminders that you have to send for people to retake their screening questionnaire 
And we're now all actually also at the end of the process, that uh, redeeming of the passports at the end once they've had their hair coloured. Hopefully you can kind of appreciate this is now automating a huge amount of the day-to-day -day activity for salons. And actually what you would have previously had to do manually is now automated. You don't have to worry about it. It just does it every hour via Forest. Now, if you're familiar with Forrest's commitment to bringing innovative solutions to help hair and beauty businesses grow and better serve their clientele, then you know how proud we are to combine our expertise with that of others in the industry through both integrations and partnerships. But it's also the case for our educational resources, including this very podcast. So today on the show, we welcome expert toxicologist and consultant Dr. David Basketer, who's chaired several international committees on aspects of consumer safety relating to cosmetic products, and whose work has led to many hundreds of articles in medical and toxicology journals. He's also been featured on the industry podcast, How to Cut It, in conversation with Dom Lehane and Sophia Hilton just last year. Dr. David Basketer, thanks so much for joining me on Forest FM, and welcome. Thank you. Just very kind. I'm pleased that you were able to listen to the, the previous one. Of course. If you don't mind me asking, as we kick things off here, what is it that sparked your curiosity and got you into the field of toxicology? I'd love to start there. So I think that's that might be, in some ways, too long a, or detailed a scientific conversation <laughs> specifically for the podcast. But I, I will give you, it. I'll try and do it in two or three sentences. I actually was working at a company called Unilever. Mm -hmm. uh, this is now many years ago. And I was working in the area of skin allergy. And I, I was doing some background research on the chemistry associated with this kind of allergy. And I wanted to work on a fairly simple chemical that was not something that was of commercial interest to Unilever. And that turned out to be PPD. It's a common allergen. It was easily and cheaply available. So I got into working with that hair dye allergen just in a sense by chance. And it became really interesting because, of course, what I thought was simple turned out to be much more complicated. Uh, so it led to a, a career's worth of interest in not only at skin allergies, but particularly in PPD. Right. And in your conversation with Dom and Sophia um, last year on how to cut it, you mentioned something that I felt important to bring up here as well. You talked about how some people may prioritize the excitement of getting their hair dyed over being completely honest with their hairdressers. And I think, I think you're onto something. I think that quite possibly happens more often than we think, um, you know, where people alter details to avoid judgment, for example. Um, how careful should we be when it comes to hair color dyes as we know them today? Like how common are PPD allergies in the general population? There is, um, there are a few bits and pieces of information. Uh, I mean, I guess it's important to keep in mind that most of the time a dermatologist is doing diagnostic patch testing on patients to find out what they may have a skin allergy to. Mm -hmm. And that one of the common allergens is a hair dye called diamine. So they are testing quite regularly to that. But that is a, a group of patients. So that's yeah. a specific subset of a population. But there have been one or two studies in the general population. There are so there are bits and pieces of information. Um, and you get the general impression that between 1% and 2% of the adult population is going to be positive on a patch test with PPD. 
Now, I, you know, sometimes I think that that figure feels a little bit high. Mm. And certainly when you look at some of the information, it suggests it might be a bit actually in real life, a bit below 1%. But it's still, uh, you know, it's a significant number of people who have a potential to react upon exposure to paraphenylenedimine and, and similar substances. I mean, if you're dyeing other parts of your um, your body or your, your hair, eyebrows, eyelashes, whatever, with those kinds of materials, I think you need to be very, very cautious um, because clearly getting an allergic reaction around the eye could be extremely unpleasant. And indeed, mm-hmm. even with hair dyeing, is occasionally it runs into the eye and, and gives you a very bad reaction. Um, yes, you need to be careful. Uh, there are also things called cross-reactions. Maybe we'll mention them later, but there are other types of dye material or indeed some other um, substances that are used medically that might also react on your skin if you are already allergic to paraphenylene diamine. So have you found in, in that kind of research, have you found any, I don't know, genetic or environmental factors that could make certain individuals in the population more susceptible to that kind of allergy? Or is it completely unrelated? Like, what does it do to? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, that's a fascinating question. And I've been doing this uh, since 1983. So you can work out that's for 40 years that I've been interested in this area. And clearly, one of the big challenges is to understand why some people react with an allergic response to, for example, hair dye, and yet 98% or whatever of people who use hair dye don't have a problem. Right. And you feel, one always feels that there must be a genetic component but it, despite the fact that people have looked very hard for it, that, you know, there is no real evidence of a major genetic component which explains why a tiny proportion of people react and the rest don't. Mm. It is true that there are some people who, when you put PPD on their skin, they, the word is detoxify, they make it safe more quickly than some other folk. Right. But that's only a... You know, it's only a small difference and most people react pretty similarly in terms of detoxification as far as we know, but it's only a tiny proportion that get the the allergy. So it's not so obvious. And I am sure that um, if, if you haven't done already, you will eventually meet people who say, I was dyeing my hair the same way, the same colour for 10 years, 12 years, and then suddenly... I developed the allergy. And there's no obvious reasons why. And so if that is um, something that can happen and we've seen happen, you know, like people not having an allergy for years and years and years, decades, and then suddenly develop it, is the opposite also true? Could Can you have an allergy to PPD, for instance, or um, any other kind of like hair dye ingredient and then become desensitized to it? No, I don't think so. I, I, you know, it would be nice if it did work the other <laughs> yeah. way. But I, I don't think that that's really the case. And, of course, people haven't done experiments mm-hmm. 
on on this kind of thing really because once you begin to have a significant allergic reaction to something you tend to avoid it and you tend not to expose yourself yeah. uh, any further because you don't want the the rash and the itch of course uh, and, and those kinds of problems and we sometimes think that if you avoid contact with something that you're allergic to for let's say for the sake of argument 30 years then slowly the level of allergy will decrease. Mm-hmm. But then maybe one or two exposures will remind your body's defense system, your immune system, that they're supposed to be responding to something uh, and you'll get the bad reaction back again. Um, you'll right. be boosted, if you like, just like a vaccination booster reboosts yeah. your immune system response. You know, it could work that way rather than the the way that you'd like, where you became less and less sensitive. Mm. So given it's upon salons and spas responsibility to prioritize the safety and health of clients when it comes to any treatment or service, really, you know, I think it's common understanding that it is crucial for salon professionals to have at least a basic understanding of color allergies and and, and related health concerns. But I hear there's been a lot of confusion and concern around mixed messages around new regulations in the UK. So as a toxicologist, what do you think is essential for salon professionals to know on the matter to ensure their clients' safety and well-being? It's it's interesting you ask that. I've done one or two talks here for uh, uh, groups of people, uh, including the Association of Registered Trichologists, and I'm doing another talk uh, later this month to, to that group. Um, and I guess one of the things one tries to do is to provide some degrees of, of education. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're doing it to people who are interested in, in being a hair professional. They're not trying to be a, some sort of quasi-medical professional. <laughs> right. um, so their driving f- interests are, are different. So what do they need to know? I, I think that... Uh, you need to start off firstly with the the concept that allergy is a, in available in at least two types. There is the the hay fever, the wheezing and sneezing, and itchy eyes kind of allergy. Okay. That is type one, and we're talking with hair dye. Normally, we're talking about type four allergy. We won't bother about the middle two, which is a, a near delayed slow response kind of allergy and and is a very different mechanism. So firstly, it's understanding that it's not the the immediate sneezing allergies, it's the the slow skin allergy. Right. Uh, And that's important because then when you do a test, you're not looking for a response in half an hour, you're looking at two days and this kind of much longer timeline. Mm -hmm. Um, Then I think... Clearly, you need to have salon professional with the understanding that whilst most people may not have a problem, there will be a few clients, they may be quite rare, they may not see them very much, but they will exist that will have a a distinct allergy problem. And quite possibly, that allergy problem will not start with a big bang, mm-hmm. it will start with minor symptoms. It'll be a little bit of redness where the hair dye might have run off the hair bearing 
right. scalp skin onto the a bit onto the neck or onto the forehead or a little bit onto the ears, just a bit of redness, a bit of itchiness. And that might start six or 12 hours or 24 hours after the application, not, not immediately. So it's just knowing those little kinds of things and picking up the uh, a message from their client that actually they did find something was a bit funny last time. Um, you know, and it's just, it's these cues to, that say to, should say to you, well, I'm not sure whether it's now safe to proceed and you really need to do a little test on your little patch of skin mm-hmm. and do it properly before you proceed any further. Well, speaking about doing things properly, I think one of the best ways to do that is to have like a standardized process or protocol. Um, I talked about Color Start and its recent integration with Forest in the introduction of this episode, but since Color Start is only available in the UK currently, for many people, blob tests remain the go-to. Yeah. So yeah. do you have any specific recommendations for those people? And could you maybe also talk a little bit about you know false negatives, which I feel, and maybe I'm wrong, but I feel are perhaps more possible without controlled tests like that of Color Start? I, I, mean, I, th- I do think that's uh, a a very difficult situation. Um, the the manufacturer's recommendations uh, for many years, and I believe still are, that you test separately on your skin with a blob every time mm-hmm. before you dye your hair. So you might be doing that 10 times a, a year. Um, in theory, you might be doing it even more. Um, we, we sometimes think about hair dyeing being associated with the stuff on your head, yeah. But of course, in some groups of, of folk, men dye their beards black. Yeah. And beard growth is much faster than hair growth. So you have to dye the beard more frequently. So in theory, you should be blob testing yourself more frequently. But of course, every time you put the allergen, the test allergen on yourself... It's another exposure which keeps on increasing your risk of developing the allergy that you're trying to avoid. Any test, uh, and and I'm thinking now not only of these uh, patch tests or blob tests that you might Mm -hmm. do, uh, but any medical diagnostic test will have a frequency of false positives and false negatives. And of course, what you would expect with a proper diagnostic test that's been all through the medical regulatory process, that there will be a clear understanding of the frequency of false positives and false negatives. And it's certainly true that when dermatologists are doing diagnostic patch testing, not just for for hair dyes, but for all sorts of allergies, rubber allergens, preservative allergens, fragrance allergens, and so on, they will experience a degree of false positive and false negative. So, to me, when you are then thinking about the the less, if you like, forgive me this wording, but the slightly less rigorous environment of a, a salon experience, it's, mm-hmm. you're not anymore in the in the doctor's surgery, but you're you're in a salon situation. Then it is necessary to have a well designed test there where you know precisely what you're doing you know precisely what you're applying you do it if you like you do it properly mm-hmm. and of course that's what uh, color start try try to do by going through the whole process with the medicines health regulatory agency in, in the uk to be an officially approved test 
Um, and that test is actually exactly the same as the dermatologist would get if right. they were testing a patient for head eye allergy in their clinic. It's precisely the same thing. It's just, if you like, rebadged, repositioned, remarketed um, for that colour start purpose. So having said that, you have that kind of test. And, and of course, anybody else can go away and make the same thing, <laughs> go through the same process, provide the same thing. Yeah. But the alternative seems only to be somewhat indistinct guidelines, um, variable guidelines from the manufacturer to do a blob test. And that's been the situation for um, decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was always seemed to me that it was something that was probably not followed uh, in any standardised manner. And, and I think all the evidence is that that is, continues to be the case. That said, it is true that in Europe... Um, the European Commission, working with industry, has encouraged industry to try to standardise. Right. And there have been some efforts in that direction. But it is still, in effect, um, a a blob test yeah. <laughs> which is applied. So, again, you don't know precise dose that's going on. You don't exactly know what's going to happen to it, as opposed to the nice, neat, closed patch that is used uh, by Colourstart. And that, to me, leads to potential problems because with Colourstart, we know that when we apply that to people who have existing PPD allergy, Mm -hmm. we know that you will pretty reliably, you know, more than 90% certainty get the positive results that you would expect to achieve. But of course, with a, a, a blob test, that is less certain. Right. We know that if you take patients who are PPD allergic and you do a controlled blob test where a big amount is, is put on, then that will be positive. But you don't know what people are doing in a salon as opposed to the research situation. So in theory, to ensure safety, you'd have to do a patch test before every treatment. But to minimize exposure it's actually best to only get it done once. Is that right? I mean, the safe thing to do is not to have your head eyed <laughs> at all. <laughs> but, you know, that's that's not going to happen. And yeah. I, I, it would be a very miserable world if everybody avoided all possible risks. You know, I, I'm not for one second trying to say that. But you can reduce your, your risk of having a very big, bad reaction mm-hmm. by doing a test checking that you're, by doing a test properly, like the, the colour start example, by doing a proper test, prove that you're negative, and then follow up and make sure that you're listening to what your body is telling you. And if right. 10 months, two years down the line, when you have your hair dyed, you find that you're beginning to get a, a little bit of an itch around your head, then it's... That's the point where either you stop dyeing your hair or at the very least you do a retest. Mm. And to me, that would, that's the kind of the, about the safest you can get in trying to avoid the, the, the bad reactions where you've then put a load of hair dye on your head and suddenly you've discovered uh, that you've, you've got real eczema yeah. uh, on your face and down your neck and, and so on. 
So I know there's a difference between intolerances, sensitivities, and allergies. Are there different degrees of sensitivity to PPD before you potentially develop an allergic reaction? Yeah. Um, well, I think the word before is, is, is the slightly difficult <laughs> one there because right. we, I don't know how to pick out the people who might be most likely to become allergic right. in advance. So I don't think you can say it beforehand, but we know that people vary in their susceptibility mm. to developing this kind of allergy. We know that for, for two reasons. One, because you know a, the majority don't develop it. It's only a few that do. Right. But from experiments that were done in the mid-1960s and 70s, we actually know that if you take a higher dose of diamine, for example, yeah. in a group of volunteers, you can make everybody allergic to it. Oh, wow. So it's not like you've got 98% who will are incapable of responding. They all could respond, but most of them would need a greater level of exposure. Okay. And the more exposure, you know, the, the, the curve will go up and up and eventually it would hit 100%. So we know that people vary in their sensitivity from those kinds of information mm. but when people have developed the allergy so if you do a the patch test on them you will see some give you a weak reaction some a quite clear obvious reaction some will give a really strong red inflamed uh, reaction at the site of the patch mm -hmm. and then for those individuals who perhaps have had one of those black henna tattoos the semi-permanent yes. ones yeah. when they're on holiday you know they will have a blistering reaction that will spread a bit around the, the site and be very un unpleasant because they are exquisitely allergic to to ppd hmm. so we know that there is this range of sensitivity and from a study that um, I was part of quite some years ago now, first author was Stephanie Ho, um, we looked at quite a bundle of PPD-positive patients, and it was quite interesting. Those that were only weakly positive, mm -hmm. I, f I forget the exact number, but something like two-thirds of them or three-quarters said they could continue to dye their hair because they just got a little bit of itch and they could cope with it. Hmm. Most of us would say, well, it's not a good idea because probably you're going to make yourself steadily more and more allergic. Right. Um, but, you know, for some of them, perhaps they don't really progress to get much worse. Probably some do, but some don't. Right. So in essence, you're always taking a bit of a gamble then. Yeah. Um, aside from PPD, are there any emerging trends or new substances that are causing color allergies in recent years that you're aware of? Or is the main culprit PPD? Well, the, the, one of the problems in, in answering that question easily is that um, we discover these allergy problems really only by the dermatology profession mm. suspecting that one of their patients has allergy to hair dye and then testing and around the world normally the only substance that they're tested with is ppd right because that's a very good marker for hair dye allergy generally and that's why colorstar for example has ppd because that's the thing that will 
give you the most information for the least disturbance. Mm-hmm. There's long been a suspicion that other allergens exist in hair dyes, other dye allergens, and one was a similar substance called paratoluene diamine that came into the market some decades ago. Mm-hmm. And you can tell from the names almost, paraphenylene diamine, paratoluene diamine, they are closely related chemicals. Right. And in fact, almost everybody who seems to be allergic to paratoluene diamine will give you a positive test reaction to paraphenylene diamine. So phenylene diamine, the PPD, is a good marker allergen for that one. Right. More recently, um, through the auspices of, uh, I think the company might have been partly Procter & Gamble, partly Clairol, probably now called Coty or Weller. I Mm -hmm. I forget exactly who. There was a new um, substance called... uh, methoxymethylphenylenediamine or something like that, normally shortened to ME+. Right. And that has been marketed by Coty Company as having a lower allergic potential than PPD and indeed PTD. Uh, So that's the newest emerging trend. Mm -hmm. But it's very clear from the the nice clinical studies uh, that have been done by that company that... If you have an existing hair dye allergy, so you've been made allergic to PPD or PTD, please do not use their hair dye with ME+, because there is a reasonable risk, perhaps a a 50-50 chance, that you will have a significant reaction to that hair dye as well, because it cross-reacts. So, considering... This keeps coming back to mind as we're talking about um, PPD and allergies. Considering the increase in PPD allergy reports since COVID, combined with the fact that some brands have now started promoting their hair dyes as PPD-free using alternative colorants or dyes, why are we so tied to keep using PPD when we could maybe be exploring and investing more time and research into alternative options that may be less irritating Uh to the skin? I, well, it's it's. I mean, it's a good it's a good question, um, and I think one of one of the, the obvious answers. Firstly, um, when you see the the phrase PPD free, mm-hmm. it normally means it contains PTD, paratoluene diamine. So you're almost as likely to react to that as you are to PPD, but. And, and it's very dangerous because if you've been told you are allergic to PPD and you see something that says PPD free, mm-hmm. you're then tempted to go and use it, even though you might well still have a, a significant adverse reaction to it. So I, I think there's um, something that is not really quite ethical or honest about that. Mm. Uh, at least with this latest variation of ME+, then they are telling you very clearly, if you're PPD positive, don't use it. Right. Uh, And they're also wanting you to test with their own materials in advance. Um, But I think the ME plus story, and indeed the PTD story, are telling us that the reality is that the 
these huge companies that make hair dyes, L'Oreal, of course, being one of the, the biggest, really struggled to find chemistry that works in the same way that their current materials do. I think, I think it was, was it Koch that originally identified uh, PPD as the hair dye? I mean, it's over a century ago mm-hmm. and we're still in the same place with the same material. And it is because the alternatives are not actually anything like as easily available. And, and I guess I, in my toxicology consultancy, I've had people approach me over 20 years saying they've got a bright new idea for a new kind of hair dye that won't have any of these problems, da-da-da-da-da. But they never seem to make it to market for one reason or another. And I suspect one of the reasons is they just don't work very well. And the consumer who wants their hair dyed a particular shade of dark brown or, or whatever is, is quite demanding. Mm. Is there even any research currently being done around color allergies or the substances that we know can cause them? Anything that you're particularly excited about? Do you know, I'm, it's, it's fascinating that you've asked me that because um, I think immediately that I'm not sure that there is very much that's going on. The, the, I mean, the biggest piece of work uh, or pieces of work have been associated with the development of ME plus uh, now marketed by the Coty company, right. where they were trying to do their best to make sure it was a, a bit less of a cause of allergy, and they've published that. But other than that, um, I haven't seen anything going on. I, I, I hope that in the background, um, parts of the dermatology community are looking out for hair dye allergy caused specifically by ME+, plus, mm. just to check... Uh, really hopefully that it isn't causing the same degrees of problems that have been associated with PPD and PTD. Um, because although the company, of course, has experimental data looking at, at allergy, that comes from um, non-human experiments, let's put it that way. Uh, and of course, the real test of anything, ultimately, is when you place it in the market and you see what happens in the marketplace. Yeah, I guess so. Well, Dr. Basketer, thank you so much for sharing these fantastic insights with me and the forest community at large. I I truly feel privileged to have had this opportunity um, to discuss all of this with you. It was all very enlightening, and uh, I know for sure uh, the community is going to benefit from this greatly. So I appreciate your time. Thank you. I hope that it's useful in one way, shape, or form. Uh, And I hope some of it doesn't just sound like me mouthing off about something or showing off. I just I find it an interesting subject, so I'm glad that other people might appreciate it and, and find it a bit useful. I've got absolutely no doubt about that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Cheers. Cosmetics, by definition, are safe. If they're not considered to be safe under foreseeable conditions of use, they do not meet the definition of a cosmetic. However, hair color is singled out in the cosmetics directive as having the potential to cause severe allergy, and these products are legally required to include labeling with a special warning triangle. That's why color companies include a requirement to test. 
In the UK, however, there's been plenty of concern about repeating the use of the allergy alert test. And so we hope that the insights from this interview with Dr. David Basketer, combined with the use of ColorStart, the only clinically proven test available to the UK consumer, helps you, as a salon owner or salon professional, better understand and navigate patch testing in your business. I'll leave you with Blaine Moriarty's experience as a salon manager using ColorStart. These are just some of the things that I think uh, are why ColorStart, I personally love it. Uh, so it gives a, uh, the salon a professional enhancement. Um, it does give that feeling uh, next level. It kind of takes your salon up into the top tier. You know, if you've got a client that's come in, um, they're used to being pampered and treated to the top of the top of the top, and then you ask them to pull their hair back and you pop a little dab of color behind their ear. Um, it's done and it's necessary and it is what it is. Um, but this just gives that extra professional enhancement. Um, it just boosts your salon to that kind of next level. Um, at Not Another Salon, we have these wonderful little welcome packs. Uh, so essentially, every time that a new client comes in or a returning client, they get given a little welcome pack. It has a bunch of information about the salon. And one of the pages is about Colorstart itself. It has a QR code in that book. And it takes them straight to the App Store where they can download Colorstart immediately before they've even started their consultation. So they're right ready to go and they're getting that information. Um, and from the beginning, clients are feeling safe and confident, especially nowadays, uh, everybody wants to have something that is tangible, that they can see, that they have uh, right in front of them. It allows them to be confident in the salad as well, that they are protecting you, them, uh, they've got the best interests of them at heart, everything like this. Essentially, it takes, the, it takes the pressure off reception in front of house, which is also my job. <laughs> and trust me, um, it really does having to write out color cards and to be filing them and making sure everything's up to date and this, that, and the other. Um, it was just out of this world. Not to mention, if you're a salon that doesn't have front of house or reception and you know, you're a stylist that's running your own column, that's answering phones, that's booking your own appointments, that's taking bills, it's one less thing for you have to worry about because the system is gonna do it for you and you can trust in the fact that it's gonna do it for you because you can see it there. Um, so it's incredible, honestly, that's amazing. Um, and it can be posted to clients. Uh, so if we are doing an email consultation or doing like a virtual consultation because the client can't make it into the salon, uh, you know, normally you'd have to say, okay, well, you still have to come in for a skin test, this, that, and the other, or, you know, if it's time sensitive or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, it's so small that it literally, you can just put it in, a, in an envelope, just post it off to them. It's got a little leaflet um, that comes with it. The only thing I will say about that is it cannot be posted internationally. It has to be in the UK. Otherwise, yeah, I can't live without it now. I'm never going without it. ColorStart is the only UK licensed medicine for screening for allergies to hair color, and it comes with its own insurance. Based on the same product thousands of dermatologists use around the world to help identify and diagnose allergies to hair color, it covers all brands of color, even if the marketing claims that it's PPD-free. ColorStart is designed for use for all permanent hair colors and designed to be used once. Due to the concerns of active sensitization about repeating exposure on the skin to the potent sensitizing chemicals in hair color, the requirement to repeat the use of ColorStart has been replaced by a risk-based questionnaire. Professionalize your allergy testing, safeguard your clients, and boost your color business. Click the link in the show notes to get started with both Forest and ColorStart. Thanks for listening to Forest FM. If you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. As always, you can head over to forest.com forward slash FM to catch all the latest from the show and check out the links and resources mentioned throughout the episode. And if you've got any feedback, 
be sure to let us know. Send us an email at forestfm at forest.com. Brought to you by Forest Salon Software. Forest FM episodes air weekly, sharing inspiring stories from the salon floor and amplifying community voices all over the globe. In your salon, we're at the heart of it. This episode was edited and mixed by Audio Z, Montreal's cutting-edge post-production studio for creative minds looking to have their vision professionally produced and mixed. Great music makes great moments.